Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JMN. Malcolm, in fact, was uh, almost with us last week during Cholamoid, but then Baruch Hashem, his family celebrated a simcha, and he wasn't able to make it Friday morning because he was there at the simcha Friday morning. But he is back for our regular weekly conversations, and I thank him, Mr. Honline. A Shana Tova to you, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good year to everybody. Let's hope uh, it'll be better and get better. Uh, we have a lot of challenges ahead, but it was a great way to begin it with the bris for David Mordechai Adest, and who was born in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, and so we were there for the bris, and Mazel Tov to Meira and Jerry Adest. And uh, he's a very cute little boy and <laughs> should have a long and healthy life. We just had a discussion with Rabbi Heber about um, how appropriate it is as uh, Simchas Torah and the the final words of the Torah are read and we read of the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu that we have Kol Arim, all the children, mm-hmm. the, the continuity together at the, at such a highlight, such a climax of the uh, of the Shemini Atzeres Simchas Torah celebration. So I'm sure and the you- emphasis we put on youth. Moshe Rabbeinu said, answer Paro, that we go with our youth and with our old. He didn't say with the elderly who we show respect for first, but for the children, because that's the future, and we recognize it. And the um, emphasis, even even when he talked about uh, the tribes that wanted to stay, and he reversed the order in which they set their priorities when they said, you know, that they had cattle and everything and children, he put the, in his response, put the children first. And now there's so much news to discuss, but the, you, you raised such an important point that i got to speak about for a second, and that is the uh, the obligation that all of us have. No matter what our level of expertise may or may not be when it comes to current events and what's happening in this world, we have an obligation to make sure that our children are educated on these issues and they know how to respond to these issues and they know how to go out there and uh, and speak intelligently about these issues. That's number Absolutely. one. And, and number two, and hopefully this year people will recommit to that. And, and the second thing is we have to then admire those among our uh, – those, those youthful members of our community who are out there fighting the battle. You have noticed, I'm sure, that there has been some action on some of the college campuses around the United States. There, there are protests, proper demonstrations that have been formed uh, in order to, to protest the way some, some universities are lackadaisically dealing uh, with those who are uh, promoting anti-Israel and anti-Semitic agendas. And we have to, again, admire and encourage the young people in our community that are fighting that battle on a daily basis. And this is happening nationwide, not just in the New York area, but nationwide. Absolutely. It's, and we have to encourage others to do it. This, this challenge is only growing, and we see them increase in the manifestations of anti-Semitism. And any time there's an incident, they have to be reported. People have to take the time and then speak out, act out. Don't don't become complacent about it and just say, well, it's it's the way things are. No, it becomes the way things are if we don't do take the proper action. Yeah, no question about it. And we have to... Um uh, like I say, a lot has happened over the last couple of weeks since we spoke. We have not spoken on the air since the uh, murder of Ari Fold, uh, which really made an impact uh, on, on so many people. And I think it's proper to mention him in the context that we were just discussing because of his role in Hasbara and in trying to inform young and old around the world, both Jew and non-Jew alike, about the real situation about what's going on in Israel. Um, it, his murder, I, I think Arab you would Shabbos. agree, um, as much as... People like myself often criticize the Jewish community outside of Israel for insensitivity or not being sensitive enough um, uh, to what our 
uh, Jewish heroes in Israel, you know, go through on a daily basis. This time around, I think the collective Jewish pain, the real searing collective Jewish pain around the world was felt um, on the day and subsequently for many days till now uh, that, that he was murdered in the circumstances and his heroism at the end and just the, the example that he set in terms of uh, living where he wanted to live and doing what he wanted to do as so many of our Jewish heroes are doing. W- would you agree that the Jewish world really responded properly, so to speak, in the aftermath of what happened? Properly, but it's never sufficiently when you have such a brutal murder, a, a terrible tragedy, not just for his family and his community, but he was a larger-than-life figure, and I think it became clear you know, to, to everyone, regardless whether you agree or disagree with any particular ideology, this is somebody who, until the last minute, stood up, showed the courage, even pursuing his, his attacker, and... Um, uh, and I hope that that it will not dissipate right away. That people understand what the challenge is to those who are um, uh, living in Israel, and, and especially in the Shtachim, but in general, uh, that when there's periods of quiet, we tend to forget. But uh, there are still daily incidents, and, and um, thank God the IDF and the intelligence units are are so effective and doing a great job. But it's not flawless, and it's impossible to be. And so we remember him, remember what he stood for and the life he led, but also remember for his family and for the sense of loss, which can never be overcome. Yeah. The the national and international outpouring was, was unbelievable in a very short period of time with the mm-hmm. the very short shiva before Yom Kippur. It was just really remarkable to see in many ways. And you're right, of course, uh, there's so much more to do. Um, t- t- in the aftermath of this tragic episode, do we have any evidence, do we have any confirmation that, in fact, the the murderers, the terrorist's home was destroyed? Do, do we have any uh, evidence that, in fact, his family is receiving? Incited to to act, the um, and, and it came uh, shortly thereafter. It was
very interesting statement by one of Egypt's uh, most prominent philosophers, Sadat Yusuf Zaidan, and he, he told it, our radio this past week that he wants to come to courageous thing to say, encountering the incitement and the uh, actions, and even sometimes disappointments when we saw the State Department did not yet lift or change the policy about um, listing people born in Jerusalem as Jerusalem Israel. Hopefully that, that will yet change, but for now, the State Department is sticking to its previous policy, despite the opening of the embassy and everything else that's taking place. The uh, On the statements by the philosopher, so... The then Al Aqsa on the southern side of Harabayat would have been built, I guess, hundreds of years after the period he's referring to, right? Exactly. Wow. Interesting. Um, the, so the Paytas lay, and in terms of the uh, the uh, demolition of the home, do we know if that ever even took place, or that uh... we know that they were there? I, know, I do know that the. Uh, Teams were, were casing the place, and it was reported, but I don't know that the actual demolition has taken place. I've not seen any reports of it. Right. Um, Abbas, what, was, what were the most outrageous things he did say at the U.N.? Because the, <laughs> the, what were some of the things that he said that were, that were it, it, absurd, let's put it that way, uh, in, during his U.N. speech? Well, frankly, I was there. I heard part of the speech. You can't listen to the whole thing because it was rambling, uh, disconnected, disjuncted. Um, he, he really didn't say anything of any significance, certainly didn't hold out any hope for peace. He was very critical of the U.S., critical of the embassy, critical of other things. But to me, what's more ludicrous is the actions uh, which he, he uh, said there, and remember that, that they now ho- had the group of 77, and uh, they're threatening to turn what is essentially an economic uh, coalition into a political um, um, front for them. But already he's gone to the International Court of Justice against the United States over the uh, move of the embassy in Jerusalem. He's also gone against Israel at the uh, International Court of Justice. He's turned it into a propaganda machine. I mean, it hasn't done that much before, but we're seeing more about how um, they they are, uh, he's using it, and it's a way of avoiding any responsibility to to create alternative um, venues for carrying on the conflict. He has made no gestures towards the U.S., although there's a lot of talks going on, there's a lot of uh, movement or uh, momentum around it, but no real progress yet. And uh, the United States said that they're going to withdraw this because the action is based on an optional protocol in the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations. And they said, and uh, I think Bolton made a very strong statement. He said, look, it's not a state. It doesn't have defined boundaries. It doesn't have the normal functions of government. If anything, it would say it's 
abnormal functions, uh, and um, you know, so that they don't have the standing to bring the case in the first place. And the um, uh, when we see also the, the the failure to act in any regard regarding the escalation of violence in Gaza to, to condemn to to take uh, necessary uh, actions, and we've seen others. The Iranians have gone to the International Court of Justice about the sanctions and are declaring a victory against the U.S. sanctions. Uh, against Iran, when in fact it was a very limited ruling about humanitarian uh, things like medicines, uh, agricultural equipment, and they also included airplane equipment. If they knew that the airplanes, the commercial aircraft, are being used to fly troops to and and uh, personnel to Syria, they, they engage in military activity. The mullahs make a lot of money on the black market for the medicines that are sent in because they grab them and, and uh, you know, hold them hostage to people to pay exorbitant amounts. And America does have exemptions already for humanitarian All right, so the U.S. If the U.S. knows it's for humanitarian purposes, they're not at, at all going to hold it up. But, but, but we already do have an exemption. Right, but I'm saying if they know for, for sure, in other words, what prompted the action this week is that they are, there's a suspicion... Or it seems there may be a definitive... No, it's an international court, again, demonstrating its bias, So as they do against Israel, they do here. And the... Um, I mean, we're going to see a lot of actions regarding Iran in the next days. I think the government is going to be a shake-up uh, with new ministers being appointed uh, next week under Rouhani. Uh, but it's certainly we see the increase in stability. You see the, the unrest in the uh, areas of the, the ethnic groups, but also in the major cities. Who was aggravated by the Bolton statement here in the U.S.? Was there a reaction from Washington, White House, State Department, that would have preferred that he didn't uh, be so out front or up front? Not, not from the administration. Uh, so, of course, I, I think some people, members of Congress, probably will react to it. But, you know, we saw the group of, uh, of Democratic senators, a large group, that came out against the... Um, uh, some of the restrictions that were placed on the Palestinian aid, and uh, including uh, Senators Booker and Gillibrand, were amongst those um, who, who signed this uh, statement and and protest against the uh, um, the cuts, which are, are already having impact. Although they, you know, he never cared. Abbas doesn't care what happens to the people. He's in fact being blamed by Hamas for the blocking of the fuel that's coming in, which is escalating the tensions in in uh, Gaza. And we're seeing today. I expect uh, we will see a larger a large event last week. Twenty thousand people. Again, remembering that Hamas uses this as a diversion. There were a hundred bombs uh, were thrown and hand grenades and and other things. Uh, though the media hardly mentions the kind of violence that is coming from the other side and the constant attempts to break through the the uh, the border. But a lot of this is an internal battle between uh, Fatah and, and Hamas. It's between Hamas and other groups in the in the Gaza Strip, and of course uh, with Israel. And the Hamas chief just called for a ceasefire because he sees that this thing is escalating. Israel's moved troops to the southern border over the last 24 hours. And the demonstrations inside Gaza are against Hamas. On the border, of course, they're, they're mobilized to demonstrate against Israel. Uh, but Israel is not the culprit here. I mean, in, in, uh, and we know that in general, this, Israel completely withdrew. We don't even have a presence in Gaza of Israeli uh, troops. Uh, and yet the media continues to blame them, and the international community uh, talks about it as if they're responsible for, for 
the violence. All right, so, so Hamas is calling for a ceasefire because they see the buildup of Israeli troops on the border. At the, and because they see the escalation, and that escalation can turn against them, too. At the same... We're at, seeing um, 12 fires a day now from, and again, something gets no attention, from these arson balloons. And uh, I saw one report, intelligence report, that said that there were, that they're attaching IEDs, uh, you know, improvised uh, explosive devices to the balloons, which means when they land that they do even more damage and that they, once they hit the ground, they explode and, and set off the fire in addition to what they do uh, along the border themselves. And they're going longer distances, so 12 fires a day, and these do a lot of damage and yet virtually unreported. But when they attack the border of Israel and Israel defensively responds and people get killed that makes the headlines everywhere <laughs> that's for sure it's america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web nachomsegel.com on the nachomsegel network and of course on the beloved nsn app malcolm honline is executive vice chairman of the conference of presidents of major american jewish organizations so you have them hamas um calling for a ceasefire at the same time you have abbas making what type of uh, plea to, not plea, but you, what what does he want now? He wants Hamas to hand Gaza over to Fatah? Is that essentially what he's looking for? He would like to, but he won't risk an election. He doesn't want, he can't risk, um, you know, an out, uh, out confrontation. They held up the salaries. They do other things in, in Gaza and but what's, I mean, there, but what's, the humanitarian crisis there of their making. Uh, and the uh, United States has been trying to work with other parties to to find some resolutions and, and means of assistance. But th- this is an ongoing battle, and it, and it has much broader implications, obviously, for the West Bank. If he won't have elections there because he's afraid that Hamas would win there, and we see the popularity. We see that uh, Hamas is uh, escalating their activities and training people in the West Bank for um, uh, terrorist activities. And thank God most of them are prevented. Um, so he, 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 you see that he doesn't do anything to support the administration efforts, uh, ongoing efforts to try and and kickstart some sort of a negotiation, some sort of a, a process. I don't think it's it's dead at all, and I think that they're approaching it in an intelligent way. That you can't impose it, you can't, you know, want peace more than than the, the PA leader wants it. And in the meantime, you're building up uh, increasing frustration amongst the people, uh, which t- tends to mitigate against support for, but in, for but in, negotiation. But in trying to understand the, the safety and security of our brothers and sisters in Israel, you, you were in Israel a couple of weeks ago. We know the type of people you speak to. You were obviously there this summer. Is it more volatile on the Gaza border now for those who live near it or not? It's ongoing. Uh, I mean, it's a day-to-day thing about whether there's more violence, less violence on a particular day. But I think the ongoing uh, threat is is continuing, and as we saw last Friday, can escalate very rapidly and, and greatly. Uh, you know, 20,000 people is a lot of people. And when you have a kind of extended border, as Israel does, it's very hard and to, to, to prevent uh, people from breaking through. And when they're instigated as they are, and mobilized as they are, and 
and organized, you know, with sending civilians up front because they, they want them to die because they want the statistic because they think this builds up support for them. Uh, very little caring about the, their own people's needs. So the, um, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, if you could graph it, it probably is a steady line overall about the level of violence. It's very high. The, the, the danger level there is serious. A couple other things have happened. A couple other things. Many things have happened since we last spoke on the air. Let's see if this if this summary is correct. Israel shoots missiles at a Syrian weapons depot while a Russian plane is landing in the area. Syria responds with anti-aircraft missiles striking and downing the Russian plane and killing 14 Russian ser- servicemen. Russia blames Israel for not giving it sufficient advance warning of the attack and claims Israel gave it inadequate advance notice on purpose, violating an agreement that it would get advance notice to protect its planes. This is an accurate assessment. Well, you, you saw that the reaction uh, to initially was uh, Putin tried to calm things down and, and did not put the onus on Israel. Said it was a, serious, a mistake. As you know, the Israeli planes were out of the skies of Syria before they started shooting. The Syrians were shooting wildly. And hit the um, this uh, plane, which was uh, filled with specialists. It was an observation. It's not a fighter jet. And uh, at home, of course, this is uh, in Russia. I'm sure very concerning to them because of the support for they want to maintain support for their activities there. So the military really overruled, appeared to overrule uh, uh, the president, and put kept condemning his and put demands, increasing demands, on the government to, to react. And, you know, for, for Russian governments, the support of the military is very critical. So they took this step of of the sending them the S-300, hopefully not the S-400, although they say that too, and giving the control over to the Syrians. We don't know whether Russians will man them or the Syrians will be able to man these uh, the anti-aircraft system. It will certainly impinge on Israel's ability to have free um, the, the right to respond when they have intelligence, which indicates that these um, weapons are on the move to, to Hezbollah or that uh, the Iranians are involved in various activities, not just weapon smuggling. Uh, Israel has struck over uh, 200 times. It will now be uh, much more complicated if the uh, uh, S-300, let alone the S-400, are are operational. There are reports that the S-300 has arrived, and uh, I saw that General uh, uh, Votel, the head of uh, CENTCOM, the Central Command, U.S. Central Command, talked about it as a needless, needless escalation, which it is, and it will give cover for Iran and Syria for all of their nefarious uh, activities. Right, but I'm curious if Israel purposely no. held back uh, advance warning to Russia. No, it, it, it Israel, first of all, the advance warning is a matter of a minute. You're not talking about, uh, and they gave him uh, more than a minute's notice uh, before they they entered the airspace. And remember, it was nothing to do, it wasn't a confrontation with Israel and Russia, it was the Syrians who just were firing wildly and, and... Obviously, they don't know how to man this equipment, and they have uh, the S two hundred, and the um, and and they hit the plane, not not Israel, but the onus has been sort of shifted mm-hmm. uh, to Israel. Uh, has there been a discussion since then between Putin and Netanyahu? 
Well, he wanted to go, but and Putin said no. Probably wasn't a good time for him to host him in in uh, Russia. And remember, Russia and Iran also have agendas in in uh, Iran uh, in Syria because they're economic rivals over the reconstruction and uh, about control. So, uh, right. I mean, I believe Russia has to be in their interest to see Iran uh, limited and. Um, uh, and we're seeing also the Russian oil production has soared in recent months as Iran's exports have uh, fallen, and the price, of course, has been going up. Iran, in fact, accused Russia and Saudi Arabia of conspiring to, to lower the prices, um, and the um, uh, to, to as their exports have dropped very significantly, much more than had been anticipated because of the sanctions against them. And we saw now India cut off all all shipments. Volvo pulled out of Iran. Uh, German banks now are almost all out. I think 80 to 85 percent of the transactions are rejected by German banks. And Bild, the major German publication, came out in support of the sanctions. This is while, you know, the Europeans keep saying that they have uh, successfully uh, Sidelined the, in the impact of the sanctions, it's not at all true, and um, and Russia is taking advantage of the current situation. I saw that CC is going there is going to be going there on October seventeenth, uh, and we don't know the agenda, but you know Russia always sought bases there and, and wants to have a greater influence. And as they've consolidated their position in, in Syria, they may be now looking on to. Um, broader areas uh, of uh, engagement in the region. And we have to be, and the United States has to be uh, very strong and, and definitive about this. Um, and, you know, the United States has created this new MESA, the Middle East Security Alliance of countries, um, including uh, the US, obviously the U.S. with Egypt and Jordan and Qatar and Oman and Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, UAE, to uh, counter and to build a strong shield, I think they called it, against the threats in the Gulf, i.e. Um, uh, Iran, including the, the cyber attacks which are going on. You know, there's so much it hardly gets any any uh, coverage about. That, that group may be more effective at a peace process than the EU, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Hey, did you see that France um, acknowledged now the, the role of Iran in a plot I think that Israel uncovered, but a plot that to blow up uh, a meeting of dissidents in France, and and they pointed the finger at their intelligence, and they cut them off. They seized their assets in France and uh, those of several individuals. But that France takes a, a step like that, I thought was really pretty interesting and, and, and an acknowledgement while they're all protesting that we have to keep uh, the JCPOA and we have to, you know, fight the sanctions. Right. The fact is the sanctions are working. Uh, we're seeing the impact in, in many, many areas and that people are continuing to pull out of, of uh, deals with Iran. And, and at Merkel. the same time, we see state uh, acknowledging that Iran is allowing al-Qaeda to operate uh, a key network inside Iran. And they, they, uh, the State Department annual survey shows Iran as the top state sponsor of terrorism. All right. Merkel seems to do the same thing, calling for the uh, sanctions against Iran to continue if necessary. Um, no, she, she's opposing the sanctions. What did I have on As that? a rule. She went, well, she was in Israel. She, she wants to see... Um, the, she's part of the European, where they gave the European alternative and... and uh, uh, other uh, 
except she was in Israel, as you know, for a day. And they talked about the danger of Iran, yes, but they still have not come around on the sanctions issue. Hmm, okay. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> yet, I should say. Because I think everybody's going to see that this is the, the right decision and all the predictions about what, what happened. It's impinging and, and clearly having a direct impact on the ability of Syria, of Iran. And the more we hurt them, the more we cut their funds, the less they can do to export their terrorism and continue the, the, the stabilizing efforts right now. It's their priority. So the money that they have is being directed in those ways. And as the price of oil goes up, even if their exports go down, you know, they still have the, the income. Hopefully the price of oil will go down and their exports will go to zero. Uh, okay, I'm trying to look up my confusion here. Uh, she did call for the, um, uh, they supported Israel's demands to stop Iran's destabilizing efforts throughout the region and its ballistic missile program. Right. So not uh, not economic sanctions, but certainly uh, it came Against down. Against their activities. Right, came down strong in their military activities. It. Got it. Uh, all right, two things we got to get to, and those are the two speeches at the UN. Um, ca- can you explain... President Trump's position vis-a-vis one or two states or or the peace process after his presentation at the United Nations? Um, I think it's a consistent position. Uh, you know, he did say in the past about a two-state solution, and he, he rightly acknowledged that Bibi and other leaders of Israel have said it, but nobody defined it. And as um, uh, the reports about uh, some of the comments from administration officials in their negotiations with Palestinians, that it's it's less than a state. It doesn't mean we don't know what the definition is. We don't know what uh, what the um, uh, implications would be. So people can judge to conclusions. There are expressions of concern about um, about what, what does it mean? Do we and and whether the Palestinians are really ready? I think it's it's an inducement meant to be an inducement to get uh, some sort of negotiations. And he's always said that you know that. Both sides are going to have to make concessions, and after the Jerusalem embassy make comments about uh, putting some of the pressure on Israel, I don't think that this was heavy pressure. I think that it was, um, uh, you know, an indication that, that he does support it. And I, I've known, heard from other discussions that he has that he does uh, support it, but it's not defined. And he said that if the states want one state solution, it'll be one state. If whatever makes them happy will make him happy and whatever they agree on. So it's not a move to impose uh, a solution uh, on, on the region, but to try to kickstart some sort of negotiations, which Abbas has been refusing uh, to enter, refusing to talk to the envoys, and that it doesn't serve anyone's interest. Uh, and on the Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech, if uh, if my um, uh, analysis of the progression of the last couple of years is accurate, where he, uh, you know, three, four years ago dealt with the uh, Iran building the bomb uh, issue and had some people interested and others, you know, with their eyes glazed over. And if last year he completely pivoted to what I thought was a brilliant approach, which was basically, you know, if you don't come to Israel, if you don't, if you don't acknowledge Israel's role uh, in terms of leadership in the world now, believe me, very, very soon you're going to have no choice but to do so, which I thought was amazing. This year he seems to be back <laughs> to, the, to the old method because he really, he spent so much time. And I think the only advantage he had is most of the country was watching Kavanaugh, frankly, because, because he spent a lot of time on the minutia and the details of what Iran is doing based on video and intelligence that Israel has garnered over what obviously is, you know, many months worth of, uh, of intelligence. Uh, what do you think of his approach and, and, and the way he was informing the world about what Iran is doing? 
Look, it is a hostile platform for any Israeli leader, and especially for Netanyahu. And I think he crafted a speech that made a case about Iran, that it's not just Israel's concern, and it's not Israel's interests alone that are at stake. But when you have a country that's lying like they do, and that, I mean, we cited some of their aggressive activities and all the other things that do against other, against Arab countries, against other Muslim countries. This is ongoing. It's day-to-day in Africa and Asia and South America, here, everywhere. It's a global danger. And he's saying, look, now, we, we brought out all of those files which put the lie to the fact about how deep and how expansive the infrastructure was. Uh, and then he says, but we also have evidence of the secret warehouse, and he's saying there are 300 nuclear uh, apparatuses, I guess. I don't know if they're full bombs uh, or weapons. Uh, and he keeps saying to the IEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, you got to go there and visit. you got to inspect it. You can't uh, have performer inspections. We know that this stuff is there. you got to look in the basement. And the truth is that, that many of the military sites are not being inspected and that uh, there's a lot of reason to be suspicious of of Iran's activities, and I think its message to the UN countries, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of it. Always, there's domestic politics or other considerations, but I think his speech was really meant to raise the alarm and to to point out that this uh, violation. He challenged, he challenged the UN, he challenged the IEA, he challenged all of them to to come forward and and test it and see whether what he was saying was right. And I don't think that he would have made these assertions if he didn't have really hard evidence of the um, about this so-called secret uh, warehouse. Look, if he had gotten up again and made the same pitch about, uh, you know, they wanting... And they learned by showing a picture, by doing other things. It, uh, you know, remember the cartoon that he once did at the. cartoon it was based on uh, all of them huh? <laughs> that's what a bomb looks like in all the cartoons <laughs> <laughs> that's right. By the coyote or whatever right. um. jews if a jew buys an apartment and this is it you need to know lines like this on the college campus if a jew buys an apartment or a piece of land anywhere in the palestinian territories the palestinian who sold them that land is executed that's according to their law and of course uh, we know about you know pay to slay uh, you proudly pay Palestinian terrorists who murder Jews. The more they slay, the more you pay. That's in their law, too. And he has the right to condemn Israel's morality or to call Israel racist. It's these sound bites that are so important uh, for the prime minister to, to get across to the world and for, like I said, for everybody fighting the battles in their own place uh, to keep in mind because that really is uh, a tremendous nerve, a tremendous chutzpah for someone to contact or to call Israel a racist state when the PA has laws like that. 
Exactly, and Israel has anything but that. If you look at the statistics about how many Israeli, Israeli Arabs and others are 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 benefiting at, at a thousand percent increase in those in high tech and, and education and the other things that that Israel does, which never gets a mention at the United Nations, except perhaps by uh, the Israeli and the U.S. ambassadors now. But the um, you know all the debate about. Um, UNESCO, and even though they did a conference on anti-Semitism during the week, which Netanyahu did not attend, and he said he, he decided not to go because of uh, uh, the uh, UNESCO's consistent and, and blatant bias against Israel. Uh, the say, he noted that in the last uh, 10 years, UNESCO passed uh, more than 70 resolutions condemning Israel and two resolutions condemning all the other countries combined in the world. And he said, you know, this is outrageous, and I'm not going to give them credibility, especially after UNESCO, on an issue which, you know, outrages me and I've talked about for years, um, talks about the Western Wall's occupied Palestinian territory, the Maratz Machpelah, the, the Kevarachal, all of them. And he said on that basis, he wouldn't go. And, and you know, the U.S., and uh, there's a new leader in UNESCO, and she's trying to set a new tone, she says. But we have to see the actions and the U.S. pulling out of, of the various agencies in the United Nations or, or showing them that we're going to match our, our words with deeds is having an impact. People shouldn't underestimate the importance of uh, of those moves. All right. Uh, and we're way behind schedule. Enjoy Shabbos Bracious. Thanks so much. Great to reunite, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays, 7.40 Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.